0: Do you sometimes get the sense that debates about America's role in the world are predictable and often disconnected from reality? Our new podcast tries to change that. None of the Above offers new ideas to help confront America's global challenges. Subscribe to None of the Above today. With MailChimp, you get a whole lot more than a URL. You get an all in one marketing platform to help drive sales. That means you can connect your data to make more informed, smarter decisions, and you get powerful automation tools like our customer journey builder to ensure you never miss an opportunity to turn shoppers into loyal customers. So if you're ready to integrate your marketing and boost sales, get started today at mailchimp.com/smartmarketing. Mailchimp, built for growing businesses.
1: Freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. That free speech is under assault like never before now more than ever freedom is under its most pressing assault this
0: is what organizing
1: looks like this is what building power looks like hell yes we're going to take your ar-15 armed with the media big tech and the global elite the left has control over my generation it's time to stand up and fight for my generation It's time to fight back against the teachers who push critical race theory. It's time to fight back against the principals who don't let conservatives come to campus. We have to work together to do this, but it is a worthy fight, and we have no choice. If we lose freedom here, as Ronald Reagan said, there is no place we can escape to. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Welcome to Let Freedom Ring. My name is Noah Ring, your host. Today I want to shed light on Baltimore. I want to shed light on Baltimore's failing schools. They are a tragedy and probably a crime on a grand scale. The Emmy-winning television show The Wire shed a harsh light on Baltimore City Schools in 2005. It was an eye-opening event for viewers who were unfamiliar with the sad condition of Baltimore school children. The show depicted a dystopian world for pupils who suffered violence and poverty while growing up in impoverished areas filled with drugs, crime, and degradation. While the dramatic representation of the inner-city terror was nearly Shakespearean in scope, the actual real-life tragedy in Baltimore is considerably worse in many ways. According to the data discovered by local Fox News station WBFF, their Project Baltimore investigation, Baltimore spends about $1.4 billion each year on education, or almost sixteen grand per pupil. Baltimore spends the fourth most on education of any municipality in the country, Despite this huge investment, Baltimore schools have some of the lowest levels of educational competency in the country. It's almost as if money isn't the answer. Reading competency rates among Baltimore high school graduates are about 11%, according to Project Baltimore investigative journalist Chris Pabst, while math competence rates are around 12%. This is in a school system where about 70% of pupils graduate each year. There is definitely a significant disparity between the high school graduation rate and the severely low academic competence rate. Given the amount of money that flows into the system, this discrepancy alone establishes a crime. As Project Baltimore follows the money, it becomes clear that enormous, it becomes clear that enormous institutional incentives exist to keep Baltimore's clearly failing system in place. In many ways, the dysfunction in Baltimore schools matches that of the city's political elite. Hundreds of employees in the education system make more than $100,000 per year in a city of less than 600,000 people. With a continually declining school enrollment, the majority of those who benefit from government handouts are not teachers, but rather consultants, contractors, and administrators. It appears that the educational system has become a platform for political patronage, rewarding supporters of the city's political class. How else could the budget of the education system be so burdened by bureaucracy and blight? To be sure, the Baltimore school system is dealing with societal issues within its student population, such as traumas of violence, crime, and narcotics which need greater resources. In many respects, the school system has become an extension of the welfare state, acting as a social worker, a babysitter, and a counselor for children affected by the evils of inner-city decline. Now let's take a look at a story from Fox News Baltimore. The headline reads, City Student Passes Three Classes in Four Years and Ranks Near the Top Half of the Class with a .13 GPA. A shocking discovery out of a Baltimore City High School where Project Baltimore has found hundreds of students are failing It's a school where a student who passes three classes in four years ranked near the top half of his class with a .13 grade point average. Tiffany France thought her son would receive his diploma this coming June, but after four years of high school, France just learned her 17-year-old must start over. He's been moved back to ninth grade. She said, He's stressed, and I am too. I told him I'm probably going to start crying. I don't know what to do for him. France told Project Baltimore. Why would he do three more years in school? He didn't fail. The school failed him. She's exactly right. The school failed at their job. They failed. They failed. That's the problem here. They failed. They failed. He didn't deserve that. Whose fault is this? Well, Baltimore hasn't elected a Republican mayor since the 1960s. Sure, Larry Hogan is the governor of the state, but how much of a Republican is he? Well, joining us now to talk about it is Antonio Pitoco, a congressional candidate running to represent Maryland in the Washington, D.C., Antonio, thanks for coming on.
0: Awesome. What's up, Noah? My name, my name is Antonio. I'm running for Congress in Maryland's third congressional district uh, to represent different parts of uh, different parts of Maryland. The, the district is so gerrymandered, but Baltimore does fall into our district. And what's going on right now with education is uh, it's pretty bad.
1: Right. So, what do you make of this story where a guy graduated or was gonna? It was in the top half of his class with a 0.13 GPA. What, what, what do you make of this story?
0: I mean, I think at a certain point it's, I mean, it's a shame that that's, that's what's happening in Baltimore because, you know, the school board isn't doing too much to actually prepare our students for uh, their futures to have a successful and prosperous future. Um, You know, education is the cornerstone of any successful society and with the massive disservice that students in Baltimore are being dealt right now. And it's not even just in Baltimore. There's school districts around the whole country that this is happening in.
1: Yeah, I mean, you're you're 100% right. So take me through this because you would be what, 25 when you're elected, 26 years old. You know, I've known you for a couple of months now. So what really had made you decide that at such a, such an age, which I mean I guess now it's possible really in the age of social media – what made you decide that you wanted to gear up and go against a congressman who's been in terms for a couple, who's been in office for a couple of terms and who probably has a war chest? What's really leading you to run against uh, Congressman Sar- Sabatarnes, I believe?
0: Sarbanes, yes, yeah, Sarbanes. So he, he's he been in Congress since 2006. Um, you know, he hasn't really done a lot to better the lives of the people here in Maryland, let alone in in Baltimore. He hasn't even addressed the issue with with education down there, but I know it's, it's completely out of character for someone my age, someone so young to want to run and, and be in Congress. But after the last year we just had with everything that was going on with COVID and we were seeing our our liberties taken away, uh, left and right by our government. I just decided that enough was enough and that I was going to put my name on the ballot and at least fight for, uh, the people who feel like their voices are falling on deaf ears. And that's definitely been something we've been hearing along the campaign trail here in Maryland um, from a lot of people. It's that Sarbanes does not listen to uh, his voters or all of his voters. He just listens to the ones that tend to agree with him.
1: Right. Which is a very, a very big problem. I had on a congressional candidate a couple, uh, about a week ago. His name is Richard McCormick. Uh, You may have heard of him, um, but He said one thing, well, my my co-host at the time asked, like, what are you going to do in Congress to put America first? And he said, well, being one out of 435, there's not a lot I can do, but his main goal would be constituent services, because that's a direct way you can benefit your district. And really, that's probably the main way that you, as a congressman, can better the lives immediately, is making sure that they don't have to worry about the VA, they don't have to worry about the USDA, whatever it may be. So, so awesome. So, so Antonio, what really is, what what is your main goal as soon as you get elected? Like what bill would you sponsor? What, what, what's your main goal once you get elected next November?
0: we have actually talked about this. I've talked about this with my team. The first bill we would want to introduce um, definitely has to do with term limits. You know, I think term limits is something that a lot of people on both sides of the aisle, they've been talking about it for, for some time now, but we haven't been able to see, um, any any traction in that capacity so we definitely i definitely want to focus on you know instituting some term of some type of term limits because if it works to have the president term limited it should work for congress to be term limited i mean nancy pelosi's been in office longer than you and i have both been alive same with chuck schumer mitch mcconnell so it's we're just allowing these people to continue retaining their seats they're treating them like lifetime appointments and it's really a disservice to everyone I would say under the age of 40 who's extremely underrepresented in, in Congress. Um, You know, and then another bill that I would like to introduce right off the jump would be um, to the guy that I'm running against, John Sarbanes. He wrote the for the people act HR one that wanted to federalize our elections and basically take away um, the state's role and people's voices in our elections. So we would want to counter that with a, we, the people act and, really make it legislation that's responsive to the people within our communities rather than the people who represent us in DC. I, I firmly believe that the, the power of the federal government resides best in the hands of the people. And right now that's, that's really not where it is.
1: Yeah, I think you're a hundred percent correct. And really to get back to what you said really early on about it being gerrymandered, I looked at it and this thing is, is, it is, it is very much gerrymandered. Um, it really, I think it might actually be the district that started the term gerrymandering, honestly. That's that's how gerrymandered it looked. So you brought up great points of the what you called the We the People Act. I think you're 100% right. I think there's a big fear from people throughout the country kind of who want to federalize elections. I mean, if you look at it, I wasn't somebody who, who called necessarily widespread voter fraud up front. But I do think now there's a lot of questions as to whether or not that if there were illegitimate votes cast, if there are votes cast, you know, illegally or whatever it may be. So you're hundred percent right there. And the best way for this to be addressed is at a state and local level. So Antonio, what do you, what do you make of Like obviously Baltimore being probably, I would say the biggest city in your district, um, the one that you're running to represent. I mean, Baltimore has a, has a major crime issue. I mean, is there anything you want to speak to about that?
0: I mean, you know, the the rhetoric we've been hearing from a lot of the local officials is they want to defund the police. We have a state's attorney in Baltimore who actually um, came out and said that she was going to stop prosecuting certain types of crime. And since she said that, crime has been insane in the city of Baltimore. I mean, it's like almost every other day, sometimes every day that we're hearing that there was a shooting, there was some type of violence in Baltimore. Um, you know, and I think it's, it's the rhetoric of defunding the police that we need to step away from. And I mean, just on that point, going into 2022, I think the whole party, the whole Republican Party needs to be focused on messaging. Right. So when they say defund the police, we address how that's that's going to impact our most vulnerable communities across the country um, in the worst type of ways. You know, and that's that's just where we need to be at. I, I firmly stand by the fact that we need to fund our police. I think we need to be training them to be working with or to understand, rather, the communities that they're um, policing so we don't run into any um, unwanted issues.
1: Right. I think you're 100 percent correct, because when it comes to that whole defund the police movement, there are certain aspects that I can get behind. I don't think police officers should be a Swiss Army knife. They should be, you know, a tool that fixes everything, because that's not really what they're there for or trained for. I think that a big problem we had years ago was when we defunded the mental health institutions and we turned it into a crime to have mental health issues because it led to a stigmatism to where you don't want to say you have mental health issues, so you don't want to go get treatment because if you do, you're automatically you know judged by your friends, you're judged by acquaintances, and you're judged by a school or a workplace or whatever. So I think that's a big thing as well. So you've touched on crime, you've touched on education, uh, you've touched on election integrity, What what else? You know, obviously, this would be something that's more long term, because as a first term congressman, you don't really get to get anything done. Um, What are your opinions? I don't know if you if you know this at all. This is a hot topic issue in my state of Georgia. What what are your what are your opinions on, uh, on on constitutional carry? Have you ever, you know, even heard of that? Or what are your opinions on that?
0: Yeah. So unfortunately, here in Maryland, we have a, a Democrat supermajority in our state legislature. So that's something that I don't think we will see until we at least diminish that supermajority a little bit. But I think I love to see that uh, so many states around the country are passing constitutional carry. I think that, you know, if if someone wants to own a gun and they're going to be responsible with it and it's, it's ultimately that turns into then them being able to protect themselves. Um, and I, I firmly support the Second Amendment. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't written so that people could go hunting. Um, it was written so that we can protect ourselves and protect ourselves from a tyrannical government. So in that aspect, I'm, I'm all for it. I think that we need to protect and preserve the Second Amendment. I think shall not be infringed was pretty clear when it was written. Um, and I think that we shouldn't be allowing for legislation to pass through where they're trying to disarm the American people.
1: I completely agree with you being in being in the state of Georgia. I definitely I know that the 2022 election for us looks pretty like pretty much like it could go one way or the other. You know, we could lose the governor's mansion or we could gain the, or we could retain the governor's mansion and grow our majorities in the state House and state Senate. So I really do hope that they get it done next next session here in Georgia. So let's shift away really from policy. I mean, I think you and I are in a unique perspective where you'd be probably one of the youngest congressmen in history if you're elected um and i'm obviously 19 as all my listeners know so um what do you really because a lot of people have asked me do you think your generation's conservative and i've always, I wanted to do what you think about that what do you think about because we're kind of in the same generation what do you think about our generation and the future of the conservative movement in america
0: you know i think the the, the future of the conservative movement we have to make it as bright as possible Um, You know, we have a generational time bomb that's about to go off in the Republican Party, and we cannot afford to lose the party overall. And that's why I go back to, like, my messaging. I know that there's a lot of people my age that agree with what I say, but then there's a lot of people my age that disagree with what I say. Um, You can check my Instagram DMs, and, and I'll show you. You'll see exactly what I'm talking about. But, you know, I think that there is a large plurality of people our age that tend to be more conservative than they think. I just think it's about breaking through with our messaging to really communicate what our plans for this country are. Because as you know, the Republican party stands on liberty and the, um, the liberty of the individual. That's what this country was founded on. So to have the certain free- the freedoms that we were given under the constitution um, and to protect those freedoms, to make sure that we remain the shining light on the hill, um, is, is definitely of the utmost importance. And it's something that I'll fight for every day, you know, regardless of if I get elected or not. Um, obviously the plan is to get elected and that's my, that's my hope that we're able to communicate our plans and our goals for the district and for the state of Maryland and for the country with the voter here. Um, but you know it's definitely i mean it is going to be an uphill battle but we're going to take it day by day and really just make the best of it.
1: Right and obviously I think you have I think you stand a really good chance to get elected. I think that 2022 will be the it'll be the mirror version of 2010 when a lot of Republicans won seats that weren't they weren't supposed to win uh, quite frankly. So I think what you said about the about our generation is quite true because there's a large sect of the Republican Party who you know, I call it cookie cutter conservatism. if it doesn't fit their beliefs then they're not conservative. you know they they'll call, they'll call them libertarians, they'll call them radical, whatever it may be. And my, my question to you is because this is what I've always you know kind of said is you know let's take let's take nobody would ever doubt that I'm a conservative. Nobody would say Noah ring is not a conservative, right? So my my thing's always been, let's take somebody who believes exactly 100% on a policy thing that I do, and then make them, you know, homosexual, make them transgender. I don't think that takes them away from being conservative at all. Um, and that's, that's just my opinion on it.
0: Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree with you. I think that at a certain point, the party does need to um, evolve you know, we we need to understand that the world is changing. And I'm not saying that we need to compromise all of our beliefs, but there's a lot more that we, that Democrats agree with us with than they disagree with us with. We just have to find that common ground. And we have to, you know, we have to get, we have to have those difficult conversations, those conversations that can get very contentious. But, you know, it, at the end of the day, the the cause that we're fighting for, the future of the country is important. And we need to make sure that we're fighting for that, that we're fighting for um, every single person in this country uh, in order to actually make it as great as it can be. Um, I know that especially after the last election that no matter how it went, people were going to feel disenfranchised after it was over. Um, But I think it's about harnessing that energy. And, you know, especially here in Maryland, we've been going around talking to to various Republican groups um, in, in the different counties that the third congressional district encompasses and people are fired up. People are ready to go. They're ready to embrace candidates that are actually going to put um, the people first. They're ready to embrace candidates that are going to put America first. And I think we're going to see um, an incredible election in 2022. I'm, I'm fully anticipating that Republicans will take back the house um, because of how how fired up everybody is.
1: Right. No, I think you're 100% right. And, you know, I'll always I mean, midterms typically don't go well for the party that controls the White House. That's just you look back through history. It's very unlikely. I mean, it was kind of a, a shock that 2018 didn't go the way that a lot of people thought it would. A lot of people thought it'd be a blue wave. Um, so let me ask you this. Um, how, how long have you been on the campaign trail now? Okay. And how are you being, re- are you being received well from the people on the ground, the grassroots activists?
0: Actually, I'll tell you, it's it's been a, a really good reception from uh, people. You know, when I got into this, I was like, yeah, I'm 25. I'm running for Congress. Um, you know, that's like a, that's a big shot. You know, that's a big, that's a big thing to do. And I, I thought that when we were going to be going into these meetings, we were going to get like laughed out of the room or ignored or discredited for being young and inexperienced. And don't get me wrong, there, there are people that 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 are like hesitant, but the overwhelming amount of people that we've talked to definitely agree that we need young people. We need the voices of young people and we need to, to change Washington, you know, and if we want to change Washington, we need to change the people we're sending there. Um, So the reception has been very, like very well, very much not what I was expecting in the beginning.
1: Um, So Right. And so the reason why I asked that question is because I wanted to, to point out some a trend I've noticed over the last, I'd say, two, three cycles um, is that if you really if, if is that I think that the establishment in Washington or in your given state, I think that they should be scared because of how easy it is now really to campaign. I've always said if you lose a primary, it's really almost your fault because especially for for congressional i mean you know obviously statewide you do need to raise some money but congressional on a congressional thing i mean it's just about traveling and going around and meeting people so obviously obviously great that you're being you're being received well and i definitely hope you you know let's work on getting you you know through the primary first obviously so obviously i, I don't obviously i mean he's represented that district from since 2006 so i'm assuming it's you know at least somewhat blue what do you what, what what's your message going to be to either moderates or Democrats when you're trying to vie for their their support? Come, uh, I guess May or June, whenever the primary would be over in in, in Maryland.
0: Yes, yeah, so the primary is on June 28th, um, and you know, like you said, he's been in the he's been in, uh, John Searby has been in that seat since 2006. Um, you know, my campaign slogan is a new way forward. Um, That's definitely the message we're trying to send to voters on both sides of the aisle and the moderates and the independents. Um, You know, we're definitely going to be taking a different approach. I feel like your your typical person that would be running for this seat in my position would, one thing we've heard is reach out and go door knock all of the, the hard Republicans. And where I stand, it's like, okay, well, in a D plus 13 district, which is what District 3 is, you do need to communicate with the other side and you do need to go talk to the independents and the the soft Democrats in order to get their vote in order to win. And that's exactly what we're going to do. Um, so I think just setting ourselves aside, like in that capacity and being willing to go and talk to, to the other side. Um, I think that's gonna, I think that's going to help a lot. Um, you know, I think we, we stand a pretty good chance. The state's also about to get redistricted in, um, we're supposed to be getting the results later this year. The maps should be out at the beginning of next year from what we heard, but this district is also going to look dramatically different. Um, you know, I, I'm sure you've seen the picture. They can't make it much worse than it already is just because of how poorly it was gerrymandered um, years ago. Um, so, yeah, the, the the ground is shifting beneath us in, in a sense. Um, we're definitely touching all the parts of the areas that, are currently in the district that might be in the district because we really just want this to be we want this to be more than just a a district race we want this to be statewide we want to we want to be touching people in every capacity that we can talking to people getting out there um, really spreading this message that the best way to to make some changes is to have a fresh face new ideas Um, and one thing i've said countless times is what's better than a clean slate in the right hands and not necessarily my hands, but in the hands of the American people. Cause that's what it would be.
1: Right. A hundred you're a hundred percent. Right. And I mean, this has been done before. I mean, Madison Cawthorn wasn't supposed to win his primary or his general election. And then, I mean, look, so I think that this is, and I think even the same really with Lauren Boebert out there in Colorado. So I think America is, I, a lot of people have always said, you know, wait your turn. You're not old enough. But I think here recently, a lot of people have realized, Hey, you need to uh, you need to put in the work, and you need to uplift the voice of people my age and your age, which I think is is quite really, honestly, really important. Because I think winning my generation really starts now. We have to start reaching out to people now. I've been traveling all throughout the southeast, speaking to different congressional district uh, committees, congressional district uh, meetings, talking about what we can do to win over the youth. I think it's I think it's very important. So. Antonio, here here's my question and this I don't I don't know your belief on this. Um what what are your and this might be something actually that you might be for, given, you know, the schooling in Baltimore. What what's your opinion on on school choice?
0: You know, I, I think I think we need school choice. I don't think that um children in, in any city, regardless of race, income, whatever the case may be, should be imprisoned by their zip code. I think that if a parent feels that their student isn't being taught adequately at the school they're at, they should be able to move them to another school. I think it's, I think it's important that they at least have that option. Um, whether they take that option or not, that's completely up to them. But, you know, I think it's important that we're not dealing out disservices to, these, to, to the students, which are really the, the future of our country. I mean, a report just came out last week in Baltimore that almost half of high school students earned below a 1.0 GPA. In um, this year alone, and then back in March, we even saw a report that said um, Baltimore City Schools just hit a six-year low in terms of their graduation rates. And at some point, you've got to have got to look at this. You've got to look to the school board, which in Baltimore they are appointed by the mayor. The mayor appoints these positions, and I think we need to remove politics from education entirely. You know, we can't allow for that to keep going because. At a certain point, it's just a disservice that's dealt to our children, our our future. And if we want to set them up for a great life, for a great future, we need to be doing that correctly.
1: Right. I think you're 100 percent right. Well, Antonio, I want to thank you so much for coming on. Is there anything you want to leave with the listeners, how they can find you and how they can help support you, whether that's phone calling, maybe they live in your district and they want to help knock doors
0: Yes. Yeah, so, um, Patoco for Congress, www.patocoforcongress.com is my website. Yeah, they can also reach out to me on uh, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. It's all my name, Antonio Patoco. Um, and I and I want people to reach out. You know, I'm I'm always on I'm always on my phone. I'm always there to answer a message, get back to people. I have people messaging me from in the state, from out of the state, all the time. So, if anyone has any you know input on the campaign or advice or anything like that, I'm, I'm definitely open to to hearing it.
1: Awesome. And thank you again so much for coming on. I'll make sure that all those websites and social medias are linked down below. Again, Antonio, thank you so much.
0: Awesome. Thank you, Noah. I appreciate it. Have a great day.
1: I want to thank Antonio for coming on to speak about these issues. It's very important, everything he talked about. If we cannot fix the school systems, if we cannot fix the crime in big cities like Baltimore, this country is doomed. Education is the biggest thing that will decide whether or not our country, America, turns into the greatest superpower to ever live and will outlast the 200-year average of superpowers. You see, America is the beacon on the hill, exactly like Antonio said. Baltimore needs to take more time focusing on the students and not the teachers. I've been a big proponent of focusing on students not the teachers, that students should come first in the school system because that is exactly who the school is there for. Teachers have already gone through school. Yes, teachers are important. We should listen to them. But ultimately, schools should have the utmost focus on the teachers. I wish Antonio well in his quest. Currently, I believe he doesn't have a primary challenger at all. I wish him well on his quest and hopefully we'll have him back on, especially once he's elected to Congress. That's all for this week, folks. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Let Freedom Ring. This is not the end, rather the beginning of a movement that will carry my generation into freedom. Thank you, and I'll see you next time.
0: Do you sometimes get the sense that debates about America's role in the world are predictable and often disconnected from reality? Our new podcast tries to change that. None of the Above offers new ideas to help confront America's global challenges. Subscribe to None of the Above today.
1: From earaches to strep tests,
0: there's MinuteClinic at CVS. See a provider, fill a prescription, and grab essentials. Or see us online with telehealth options. That's healthier made easier. Visit MinuteClinic at CVS today. Services vary by location. See MinuteClinic.com for details.